And welcome to episode number seven of the Insignificant Others podcast. I'm Brett Featherston. For Rob Clinton and myself, we are really excited that you're joining us. Please visit us at facebook.com slash insignificantotherspodcast and let us know your thoughts and ideas for future guests. Also on iTunes, please rate or review our podcast. On the podcast app, all you got to do is pull up Insignificant Others podcast and tap on reviews. Tap on write a review and let us know what you think of the podcast. So we have another wonderful guest today, Mark Vincent. Mark has a great story, and so far he is the only guest we've had who has actually appeared in an ESPN 30 for 30 episode. Mark played football for SMU. He lived through SMU's death penalty, which will probably be the last time that ever happens. He finished his football days at the University of Georgia, and we're going to get into his story in just a couple of minutes, and it's a fantastic story. Before we do that, let me introduce my co-host, Rob Flint. Hello, Hello, Brett. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. I uh, had all three kids by myself this weekend, and, and this is my first hour of freedom since Friday. So um, if you ask yourself if you're going to wipe that big smile off my face anytime soon, certainly during this podcast, my response to you is impossible. <laughs> impossible. So I'm going to start off with my uh, my quick hit points. So are you a fan of Girl Scout cookies, Brett? I'm a huge Frozen Thin Mint fan. Oh, I'm so glad you brought up Frozen because um, there. I don't think there's any other way to eat Thin Mints than Frozen. Than Frozen. They're so good. A Frozen right? sleeve. So, so my 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 comment is Girl Scout cookies are. Oh, by the way, it is a sleeve. You never eat two. You eat a whole <laughs> freaking no, sleeve. There's no. Yeah. No. There's no. There's no onesie twosie for me. Um, Girl Scout cookies are a dieter's worst enemy for sure which which got me to thinking like why do they sell them in in january early february when 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 people all over are trying to to eat right and live a healthy lifestyle that's usually the first downfall when i see the green boxes yeah if they sold them in october they'd sell three times oh i I totally agree i totally agree which begs the question are girl scout cookies a legal form of drug you don't have to answer that. I know that we're being recorded right now. Yeah. So my next point is, speaking of, of cold and frigid, I watched the movie Everest last night. It's the movie that's based on John Krakauer's book, Into Thin Air, which is a great book, by the way. Um, and, and the movie is okay. Uh, but I, I couldn't help but, but think about the, the people that, that, that commit to climbing Everest. Um, on one hand, I'm... I'm totally inspired by them you know they're chasing a dream they're fulfilling some need and certainly you know hopefully a feeling of accomplishment if they make it to the top but on the other hand i'm completely just befuddled by their lunacy especially the folks in the movie you know they had families and and knowing that there's a one in four chance of making it to the top i know personally that that's not it's crazy anything that i would ever commit to nothing that i would ever commit to so uh, on to my next point. So are, do you watch Fox News, Brett? Um, let's say that it's probably about two hours a day. Two hours, two hours a day at what least. What does that say about me? It, 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 I figured you watched a lot of Fox News. Um, Charles Krauthammer, um, very smart man. I love um, Charles. You know, and, and I've, just, I've always been kind of curious as to his physical condition, um, 
for for a long time. One was I thought he was much older than he really is. Take a guess as to how old Charles Krautheimer is. I'm thinking like 150 or so. That's what I guess. So I love the man, but he looks like he's on the verge of death yes. at, at any moment. He's 65 years old. That's crazy. And when I did a little bit more digging, um, it, it made sense to me because he is in a wheelchair. And I have never seen him make a TV appearance with any kind of wheelchair indicator in the background. Well, he's always at a different location. So he's doing it at some different studio. But yeah. you're right, he's always sitting down. So he, he's paralyzed. He he was in a diving accident in the early seventies and has been paralyzed and living in a wheelchair ever since. So wow. just food for thought. So I mentioned earlier that um, I had the kids by myself this weekend, and and you know just like me, Mark is in the same boat, and and probably every single parent who listens to our podcast um, can identify that you know we live to drive our kids from point A to point B multiple times, you know, certainly during the, the week, but certain, you know, it, it increases during the weekend. So my, uh, my wife wrote out an agenda for me and, um, you know, where everybody needed to be and when and who was going to pick up who because I had to be somewhere else. And so um, it wasn't that she wrote an agenda for me that I'm, I'm going to make this point, but... The agenda was three pages long, okay? And I have three kids. And, and, and it was extremely depressing to see that. You know, it's one thing to do it and not have to read it. But when you see it in written form... It's crazy. I'm like, I, well, yes. It's one thing. It, it is, it's insanity is what it is. But then I'm like, I am a complete loser. Like... Like this is how can I accomplish? How can I climb Mount Everest? Yeah, it's not going to happen. I have a three-page agenda to follow because you have to pick up your your second child at three fifteen and to get the fourth one to. Oh, I mean it's it's birthday ridiculous. parties and basketball and baseball and tennis tournament and cotillion, and so again, I am no different than anybody else out there. It's just you know we probably should have somebody on our podcast at some point that can address the the insanity that our children have to to live through but that's another topic for another day i agree and my my last my last topic since since it's one week out from super bowl 50 um i am an unabashed fan of cam newton i love him i think he's great i i i think he gets a bad rap for no reason i think that he has brought more joy from a fan's perspective, to watch the game and, and, and see somebody who has a big smile on his face and the camaraderie that he has with his teammates and his dubs and his Superman, I don't think that's offensive at all. I think it's a celebration of the game and, and his own personal greatness. Absolutely. What do you and, think? And the fact that he happens to be like a physical specimen that's unrelated, oh, 6'5", 240, something like that, Yes. and that, that million-dollar smile, I yes. mean, you you can't help but root for the guy. I hope he wins. And I know there's a lot of people that don't like that, but I think it's but fantastic. he's a polarizing. He's very polarizing. And coming it's, coming out of Auburn, I hated him. Yeah, because me too. Of the, the black cloud that was over him. Yes. Since he's been in the pros, I, I love. I, I love the guy. I would still like him if he has to one day give back his Heisman, <laughs> which could happen. <laughs> which could happen. So, Mark, are you a Cam Newton fan? Where do you, where do you sit? 
you know, um, I am. I really am. He's he's a, he's a wonderful player. The game has changed. He is he is a leader. I I made a mistake, and it tells me I don't know what I'm talking about about NFL football because I really didn't think he would excel the way he did. I thought he would be more in the Vince Young category um, due to his Florida experience. What I like about it is everybody's forgotten that. Okay, I'm not a big Florida fan, but but but. He, people make mistakes, yeah. and I saw something tonight. They have Michael Irvin and Jerry Rice being captains of the of the of the the, the Pro Bowl, the Pro Bowl. Yeah, and thank you. And and Michael Irvin, people forgive, and, and he's made a tremendous amount of mistakes in his life, and people forgive. And and I like the fact that that, that Cam had made a mistake in Florida. Went to went to Blend Junior College, went to Auburn. And he's ran. Hey, he's proud of what he's done, and mm-hmm. you know, and and I, uh, I'm a huge fan. He's a great football player. He's a, he is a physical freak. Well, you know, the other thing too that I'll give Ron Rivera a ton he's of credit smart. for is that Ron Rivera didn't say I'm going to try to change you into a pocket passer. He said I've got this guy that has these wonderful talents that I'm going to utilize the way those talents are and not try to change them. And the, and the thing is, is you look at maybe Randall Cunningham can be the only exception. There's never been a running quarterback that's been successful other than potentially Randall Cunningham. And he got away from that later in his career because he was like a string bean. But when, when Cam Newton runs the ball, you're not saying slide. You're saying lower your shoulder. That guy's bigger than some of those linebackers that are trying to tackle him. Oh, yeah. And that's so hard for a defense to scheme against. It's... Well, he's a better game. pocket passer than you get. I mean, he, he, they pocket passes him a lot, and he yeah. and he they run the ball ball so well, and they have to have somebody you know defending him uh, like a, a spy. A spy, thank you. That 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 it puts somebody out of the secondary, and and, and he throws deep when he needs to, and he and he's poised. Oh yeah, and he's got a great touch. That game against Arizona, he oh. dropped that ball in some places. So. So, Mark, let's get into your story because you've got a fantastic story. You, you, you're really um, an inspiration, and, and you've had a roller coaster of a life. And, and some people from 30,000 feet are just going to look at it and say that you've had this, uh, that you know, you were, you were touched by the hand of God, and you were this great high school athlete, great college athlete, and everything else came easy. But it's really been a roller coaster. So, so let's get into this. L- let's start in high school. Because, um, unfortunately, I don't have the same experience. I wasn't a superlative athlete. I know you're finding it hard to believe, but I wasn't in in high school. So take us through playing in high school, what it was like being a great athlete, the recruiting process, when you knew that football was it, because you also were a really good baseball player. No, no, no. I I, I played both, and and I was fortunate enough to – Grew up in Weatherford, Texas, and we had a really, you know, some, some, Holland Park has the same thing. Some school, some, um, I can't even talk. Some phenom. Phenom. No, 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 no. Some, some groups are really, really good. And then the next group behind them may not very, right, very good. Right. Like some, you know, just uh, school, school groups. And we, uh, we fortunately had a really good group. And, um, I would have never been there had 
to, to gone to Fort Worth Country Day. When I was in the sixth grade, I started. I, I matured early, like my son Gus. Uh, my dad held me back. My dad was sixteen years old, and they graduated him up a grade for academics back then. So he was sixteen years old when he graduated from high school, and he was playing against 18, 18 year olds. And so right. he's, he made a decision that was not going to happen to me. I was a June birthday. I got bumped back. So I was in the top 10 people that were older. I've done that to my t- both sons. I've held them back, one at Gus especially. But but anyway, um, uh, I got moved up to seventh grade when I was in the sixth grade. Seventh grade, I was in the eighth grade. And somebody told my dad that I was your UI eligibility starts when you're in the eighth grade. And so when I was going to return to the eighth grade, he had five years. This was incorrect, but I had five years to go. And so my, uh, for your high school eligibility, eligibility, yeah. but, but then that was totally wrong. Cause you got four years to start to ninth grade, but somebody told us that which was incorrect. And I was, was at an age that I was getting cocky and thinking, and I was good, and I knew I was good, but I wasn't paying attention to academics. And my dad scouted around and decided he was going to send me to uh, Fort Worth Country Day. Well, in the meantime, one time I came home, I smarted off to him, and I made a bad grade. And he said, son, you know what we're going to do next week? We're going to New Mexico Military Institute. That's where Roger Stahlbeck went. I said, "What's that?" And he goes, "Well, that's a combination of schools. It's a very, it's a, it's a military school, and you get up at five thirty in the morning. It teaches you discipline. Obviously, I'm not doing a good job for you, and um, we're going to go. We got on an airplane. We flew to Abilene. I mean, to Albuquerque. Excuse me, Albuquerque, and went to the Mexico Military Institute. Met met some people. Went through the program for a day, and it was almost like scared straight." <laughs> that the, yeah. the, I mean, it, it had such an effect on me, um, and and we got on the airplane going back, and I said, "Dad, I, I will I will focus on schoolwork. I, I want to stay home." And he said, "I don't know if I'm going to do that or not. We'll, we'll see. We'll see. Prove it to me." And anyway, so um, my dad had some mis- ins- misinformation. Walked across the street where the the head coach was. And said, "Look, my son's pretty good. He can kick, uh, he can punt, he can run, he can play quarterback. He may not play quarterback as a, as a varsity member, but I think he can contribute. And he's a good baseball player." But and, and the coach turned to him, coach turned to him and said, uh, "I've never had a freshman in 35 years play in my life on my team, and he won't play." So he basically laid down the law and said, a freshman's not going to play on varsity for my team. That's correct. Absolutely. And, and, and upset my dad. So I went to – he goes to, the, to Fort Worth Country Day, which I had established some relationships. And he says, will you give my son a chance to start? And he says, absolutely. So I started, ended up starting punter, kicker, safety, and quarterback – for four years, as a freshman, as a freshman <laughs> on the varsity in Fourth Country Day, when I, and it was equi- it was about equivalent to two A versus four A though, so right. it, was a, it was it was a little bit different. But uh, um, so uh, so so let me ask you this though, getting away a little bit from sports, as a phenomenal 
high school athlete. So you're, you're the starting quarterback as a freshman. Could you at that point have gotten any of the senior girls that you wanted? No. As a freshman? <laughs> maybe as a sophomore? <laughs> freshman, maybe a junior or sophomore, <laughs> but, but no seniors, no, no. <laughs> I, mean, I, was, I was mature for my age, but, but I can tell you, the day I turned 15 years old, my son just turned 15 yesterday, I, when I, the day I turned 15, I got my hardship license. Oh, yeah. And my dad put me to work delivering medicine for people. I worked all day long. I worked eight hours the day I, I turned 15. I got wow. my license. So uh, he, he knew that you, he wasn't going to let you go down a different path. He, he, he kept he, you busy. He, he kept me busy. All right. So you're at Country Day for your starter. And, and tell me a little bit back then, because I don't know if it's changed or not, but, but tell me about the recruiting process for colleges coming to talk to you. And It's changed so much now through huddle and, 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 and uh, technology and videos, and they can read film. And, and So huddle.com, H-U-D-L.com, yeah. that's used thing. for recruiting, too. Oh, absolutely. One of my best friends is Bradley Del Pivoto, who was just voted the top recruiter in the SEC. Uh, that's coaches just send them videos all the time, email them. Yeah, constantly bombarded with that. Obviously, in 1982 and 83, they didn't have that kind of technology, <laughs> and so. Uh, but I, I, as a freshman, a guy from Princeton came around and 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 talked to my dad and said, "Hey, I'm gonna keep my eye on your son." And so that gave me, and my dad told me that, and that that gave me some hope as why I wanted to stay because. Weatherford was trying to get me to come back and play. And my dad had a local pharmacy there. And he lost. He probably lost a lot of business out of, uh, as a result of that because they thought, well, your son, you think your son's too good to be here at Weatherford? And he said, no, my son needs to be there. Uh, and he thought that was in my best interest. Right. And, and, and he caught a lot of flack for it. And I respect him because he stood up for what, for what he believed. So how, uh, how many schools recruited you? Which time? Well, uh, high school in high school. Yeah. Okay. Uh, that's right. You had a couple of different recruiting. Yeah, classes, I had, I had two different situations, unique. which is unique. Let, let's stick with high school for now. Uh, I, I mean, I, I had some interesting stories. I mean, I, TCU, Texas Tech, Arkansas, and you didn't have the grades to get into Tech. I'm assuming. Uh, no, I, my sister went to Texas Raider, Tech. Right? My sister was yeah. TCU, SMU. Uh, Vanderbilt, Duke, the the, the Air Force academies, uh, Air Force, Army, Navy, Harvard, Yale, Dartmouth, uh, Princeton, uh, Stanford. I would have gone. To Stanford never, never never showed an interest whatsoever. But um, so oh, you didn't. Oklahoma State a little bit. New Mexico. I got, had a ton of small North Texas, North New Mexico, all those schools. So are they just bombarding you with phone calls and visits at your house? No, I, I really want. I committed early, and and I I uh, uh, I really wanted to go to SMU because I wanted to prove a point. Because when I left Weatherford to go to Country Day in a, in a private school, and there, there there may be a lot of similarities here between Highland Park and and St. Mark's that that that. People go, uh, you know, to a private school. They said, "Well, you're you, you were so good in your stats because you didn't play anybody. 
right. played at such a right. different level. And so that motivated me to want to prove to them, SMU just come off an undefeated year. They should have won the national championship. That was, uh, that was right after the Pony Express days. That's exactly Eric right. Dickerson and Craig James just and Lance McElhaney. One tie that year. They tied. Didn't they tie? Well, in one poll, they tied for the national championship. Well, AP, Penn's, I think they got right, but right. second between Penn State. And, and, you know, SMU was the only undefeated team. They deserved to win the national championship that year, but for whatever reason, uh, they didn't get it. And so we had the number one recruiting class, I believe, according to, you know, you don't know who says rankings. what, but we had a great recruiting class. This is your class, your 1983. Okay, because I want to I break in real quick because Mark was kind enough to bring this to us. Um, I'm looking at the Fort Worth Star-Telegram, a little cutout that appeared in August or on August 2nd of 82, and it's the tops of Texas. And Mark is the sixth-rated quarterback. And when I was looking at this while you were talking, Mark, it's kind of funny – to think about the, the, the evolution of, of the college game and football in general, no offense, but, but looking at the height. So the number one quarterback is a kid named Craig Stump out of Port Arthur Jefferson who's 6'1". There's six foot, 6'2". Six the tallest on the list is 6'4", and then you weigh in at six, six foot even. Which I'm not six foot. Well, you know. <laughs> you know. But 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 you're, you're I mean, not one seventy now, any longer. Now you were to see a list, you know, of the top, let's say six, ten, what have you, quarterbacks. You're you know, especially in in the kind of the air raid, the passing offense, unless you're a dual threat, those kids are at least six two, six three. Now there's the Kyler Murrays that you know are six. Well, no, he's not even six foot. He's probably about what five ten. But the 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 quarterback of today is a little different. Obviously, oh, you probably saw that article the other day about those those great kids that, that put up those wonderful stats uh, around the area that don't even have scholarship offers that are six foot five eleven that have put up twenty five. You know, one kid ran for twenty three hundred yards and he's five nine. It's incredible. You know, um, and they say they they're, they're you know it, it's 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 the everything has evolved. Yeah, I mean. Um, Things were different back then, no Did, question. So, yeah, and there's no way that, that back then people ran the option. Yeah. And quarterbacks were 5'10", 5'11", 6'0". Sure. The drop back passes were 6'2", 6'3", 6'4". Did, did you win a private school championship? We did. We won the state championship when I was a junior in high school. Okay. And uh, uh, it, was, it, was, it was a fun, a fun deal. Uh, we had a really, really good team. So what, what – what was what was it like having Ron Meyer come to your? Did he? Come, I'm assuming he came to your house. It was Bobby Collins. Oh, Bobby Collins. Bobby Collins. Ron Meyer. Bobby Collins came in 1982. Okay. And that's the year they won the Cotton Bowl. Were undefeated. Okay. So Bobby Collins and a guy named Mike Barr, who recruited Terrence Mann and and uh, Jeff Atkins out of Fort Worth Eastern Hills, uh, was my contact. So you know, you obviously had a connection with them. In addition to having a desire to want to play at SMU, um, you know, they said all the right things, made mom happy, made dad happy. Then you committed early. Well, I did commit early. They they ran a, they ran an offense that I thought I could run. Mm-hmm. I mean, Lance McElhaney, as we talked about before we got on the air, uh, is probably the best op- option quarterback I've ever seen ever played. You know, and, and, and that's a testament to Coach Beavers and, and Lance himself. Uh, Lance had an intangible. He would cut in and throw it out and, 
I mean, he just he had a knack for doing it. He did yeah. it, so many, you know, thousands and thousands of times, and he was phenomenal. And I've told Lance, I said the only other guy I ever played against that I, was Jamel Holloway. Yeah. Jamel could run better than you, and yeah. they had that big hump on the field that he could run downhill, <laughs> and they they just killed us in 1985. But Jamel, those are the two best option quarterbacks to ever played the game, okay. in my opinion. Okay, so so I've got to ask you, based on the, the SMU legacy that they've left, um, how much money did SMU give you to, to come play for them? Zero. <laughs> Zero. So, okay, and I say that tongue-in-cheek because uh, I've talked to you about that before. So of all of the allegations and everything, SMU was egregious in, in what they were doing, and that's what led to the death penalty. Were Not- you or any of the other players aware of it? I mean, did you know that that was going on or even suspect that it was going on? You know what's interesting is, is oh, yeah, of course. Um, but that was going on everywhere. Yeah. When you have eight, when you have eight teams in the, in the state of Texas, in the Southwest Conference, seven or eight teams competing against each other, all right, uh, that happens. And, and, of course, yeah, we knew certain players showing up with, with 280s, ZXs back then and – and I was fortunate that my dad could buy me a card, but but there was a lot of people that got some money. What was interesting was the when we got the uh, the second time we got put on probation, we had some lawyer that came in and said we're going to do selective enforcement issue. Like you and I are driving down the road, you're going 100 miles an hour, I'm going 100 miles an hour, and I get pulled over, yeah. get a ticket, and we'll say, well, Brett was doing the same thing. Well, that's a stupid argument, all right? I right. mean, there was some arrogance involved. There were some boosters involved. The real estate industry was booming. We know who they are. They were banned boosters. And, yeah, they went over the line. Um, but SMU came in, and they took depositions of every player and took what, what was offered to them by all the other schools, okay? And then once that got out, Jim Wacker dismissed or suspended six or seven other players to save his job. Bobby right. Collins didn't do that. Bobby Collins stand behind his players. Uh, Jim Wacker caught wind through the windmill that that things were going down. It was the Kenneth Davis days. And, yeah, absolutely, yep. because all the SMU guys testified under oath what TCU, Texas, Texas A&M, Texas Tech, whatever was offered to them. And the only guy to fold was was TCU, and they kicked him off the team. Now, whether that's related or not, I don't know. I suspect it is. Yeah. But 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 I've been told that that's the case. Gotcha. So so you're a two year start. You redshirt your first year. You start for two years at SMU, but you were recruited as a quarterback. You didn't ever play quarterback in college. I, Share I that with us. I didn't. I sure. Uh, Life lesson, life lesson. I everything I'd done athletically, small town, Fort Worth, had had God had gifted me, and I was very successful. I got recruited, even though I played at, at, at a small school because of my track times. I had intermediate and and high hurdles, even though I got little legs, get good hips. I had the top five. Track times in the state. I've heard you've had good two years in a row. 
And 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 the coaches have told me that. That's why we recruited you because of your speed. Um, I played quarterback. I came to SMU as a quarterback. Most teams wouldn't play me as defensive back, and I had no interest. Um, and go to SMU. I get redshirted. Work all all winter long trying to improve. Now I could tell there was a difference. I was. The speed was so much different that I had to adjust, and I thought I had. And then we recruited a guy named Bobby Waters. He's a good friend of mine. He was a hell of a quarterback from Lakeview Centennial. And when once we recruited him, I guess they made the decision that I was expendable, and they moved me to defensive back. And the way they handled it, I thought was horrible. But but that's my own personal opinion and. I you know worked all over the, the the and how did they let you know about that? Well, they I walk into a meeting in the spring. I work all fall, and I walk into the meeting room. The quarterback and and, and when you say you work all fall, you're working eight hours a day. You're maybe not eight hours. You're working, working every out. day trying to perfect your craft as a quarterback. That's correct. That's correct. My arm strength, my legs, my my my, my options, skills in the weight room. I mean, I worked. I'm a hard. I was a hard worker. Very dis. I'm gonna have a lot more discipline back then. Than I am now, and and was very disciplined. And I killed myself. And I got to a point where I thought I was at the level that I could compete for the starting position. Right. And I walk in the first day of spring practice, and we had a coach named Jeff Bauer, who's quarterback coach, who was Southern Mississippi coach for. 10, 12, 15 years. And I walk in, and he looks up and he says, You're in the wrong, you're in the wrong room, Mark. I said, What do you mean, coach? He says, You're in the wrong room. I said, Why? He says, You're a DB now. I said, Nobody told me that. He said, Well, you need to go. You're in the wrong room. Leave. <laughs> Just a complete kick in the crotch. I was utterly crushed. My whole, I mean, at that age, when you're at that age, your your whole self worth a lot is built upon. Mine, at least, was my athletic ability and my athletic proudness, and it taught me a lesson, though. I mean, but but, I mean, I, and I was crushed, and I almost I almost quit. I mean, I, I, I went to the DB room, and coach says, "Mark, we're gonna make see if you can handle being DB," because at that point, you're living your dream. You're playing for a great team. You're playing D1 football. You feel like you're you're ready to compete for the starting job, which is which is a dream. And just to get told that way, that's that's business now. You know, I mean, yeah. I, mean, I understand that what they were looking at now, but but at the time, I thought it could have been handled better. But I was a sensitive kid, and and um, I, mean, I was crushed. I mean, I I, I was just apt, first athletic setback I've ever had in my life. And and just totally, it's like you, know, you find you find your wife is leaving you for your best friend. You know, I mean, I just absolutely just crushed. And how'd you handle it? I reached out to my father, who uh, was always there for me, and. Told him, I said, Dad, they, they, they misrepresented what they said they would do. And he said, son, it's a business. 
you got to, I'll support you whatever you want to do. Uh, he wrote me a, a beautiful letter, told me he loved me and I'll support you, but you got to, you got to make that decision yourself. I would hate for you 20 years, 25 years, 30 years from now, look back and think what could have happened had you walked away. He says, give it your best shot. And I I listen to more. You know, unfortunately, my kids don't really listen to me and what I say. But 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 I listen to everything my dad said, and I said okay. And so then I I turned, and it took me about a year and a half of of transformation to from a mentality standpoint because they ran out of option back then. You got two hundred eighty pound guards turning on you in corners, hitting them and right. cutting them, and I mean I got two shoulder surgeries to show for it. Um, and it's a mentality change, and and I, I just the pieces fell. I was pieces fell into place for me, and I was a, back then under that kind of situation. I end up I end up playing, and and what's interesting is I'm now I don't care from at this at this stage of my life, but but you know what's funny is people respected me more as an athlete playing defensive back. Than quarterback. Wow, that's interesting. So, you actually ended up starting for two years as a cornerback for SMU, right? I did eighty four, oh eighty five and eighty six. Excuse me, eighty five and eighty six. So you're, you're starting cornerback for Division One, uh, one of the top programs in the right, nation. Number two at in the time. country in eighty five. Number two team in the country. You're, you're starting cornerback for them. So, so. What was that mental transformation like? So going from quarterback, now all of a sudden you're hitting people. So when you first started hitting people, and I know you did it in high school too, but it's got to be a little bit more fun. No, I, I, I never really enjoy, I mean, people that say they enjoy hitting people, I never really, I mean, I was little. You got to understand, I was 170, 175 pounds. I was a good tackler. I was not a good hitter. I mean, there's a big difference. Guys that yeah. hit people, knock people backwards. I would take their legs out, hit their knees, grab them, you know. Cause, and I, I was not a good hitter, but I was a good tackler. And back then, um, the fact that I had played quarterback and then moved to defensive back, I would read the quarterback, and I had some intuition that that allowed me to look at formations. And and I tried to tell my sons this now: look at formations when you see it again. They're gonna run, you know, when they would run things, and and I just I was a very smart football player. One of the biggest compliments I've ever had in my life was Vince Dooley on one of his when I went to Georgia on one of his television shows uh, was talking about something and said Mark was probably one of the smartest defensive smartest defensive backs to ever play at the University of Georgia. Or no, actually, he said Mark's one of the smartest football players to ever play at the University of Georgia. And so, which that, is a dichotomy in and of itself. Was that <laughs> smart football player? <laughs> hey, there's a smart, smart defensive back too. There's a couple. There's there's a guy that uh, from Texas that has a big winery out in Napa. Yeah, he played uh, uh, defensive back at George in 1980. So he's done well. All right, so you go through that change. That's one of the roller coaster hills that you're going through. You you end up being a two year starter, and then February 26, 1987. They officially tell the team, 
the the first time and most likely the last time ever, no more football. The death penalty is issued. What was interesting was three or four days before that, the provost comes in and has a meeting with us and tells us that the worst thing that's going to happen is we're probably going to play conference games, but we will be penalized non-conference games. Huh. And so I was a, I was three months from graduating. I'd applied to MBA school. I was going to be accepted. My fifth year, I was going to go to MBA school. And so I'm like, I was relegated to the fact that, that all right, well, you know, we've been dealt this blow. We had a good run. It happens. But we're going to get still get to play. And so then they had that meeting that day, and we get the death penalty. And we're like, we weren't told. I mean, the, the people at SMU were telling us things that what they thought was going to happen. And it was a shock. And back then, people now graduate. Like the University of Georgia quarterback graduated from Virginia last year, and you can transfer as a graduate. They would not allow that to happen at that time. So I had to withdraw from school two months before I was scheduled to graduate in order to play somewhere else. And so I asked the NCAA whether they would allow me to to uh, graduate and then transfer to Georgia, and they said no. So I had to withdraw from school. Uh, huh. And then luckily Georgia was on a quarter system instead of semester system. So I enrolled March 15th or something like that, went directly into spring ball. So tell us a little bit of how you got to Georgia, how that came about that from SMU, death penalty, and, and all of a sudden you play at Georgia. Well, I'm sitting on my couch. I'm living with a guy, one of my really good friends named Eric Mays, who was a backup cornerback, played right behind me from Highland Park, successful real estate developer here in Dallas. And I'm sitting down on the couch watching TV and the phone calls. And you got to understand the context of this. I've got one year left. I'm not really that marketable for major people that they they want two or three years, you know. And so the only people that want me are people that needed immediate help. Um, and so I, so my recruiting was limited in that regard. But I'm sitting on the couch and Ray Goff, former University of Georgia head coach, who's still a good friend of mine, calls and says, "Now speak to Eric Mays, please." And I said, "Well." He's not here right now. I said, can I, give him, can I take a message? He goes, yeah, this is Ray Goff, University of Georgia. I want to know if Mr. Mays wants to come to University of Georgia and take a visit to play defensive back. <laughs> and I hesitated for a second. I said, hey, coach. I said, my name is Mark Vincent. I said, I've started the last two years at right corner at the University of Georgia. <laughs> at SMU. Yeah. At SMU. Oh, excuse me, at SMU. I said, uh, I'd be interested. He goes, really? He says, come on. So Eric and I get on an airplane. We go to University of Georgia, take a visit. And Bill Lewis, who's the defensive coordinator, who was, for, who was later head coach at uh, Georgia Tech and, and then a defensive coordinator at Notre Dame, um, we, we meet, and they run a very similar system to what we ran at SMU. And – we did a shuffle technique 
And like I said, I was a very good zone player. Man to man, I was decent, but wasn't that great. And uh, um, we, we, he and I just hit it off. And, and a week later, I got my U-Haul, and I'm heading to the University of Georgia. Scared, got, scared so, to death. <laughs> just kind of luck of answering the phone and being the one to talk to him. There was a guy named Shelly Anderson that was from Atlanta, Georgia, that started at guard at SMU. And he had been recruited by Georgia. And he and I, he went to Georgia with me. And so he was a roommate of mine in the short term. Uh, so that helped from a consoling, just a, I had somebody that I knew, yeah, a friend that went down there. So, But we showed up in the spring and, it, you know, it was complete, just complete strangers, and 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 you, know, you got to prove yourself all over again. That's why I tell lawyers in my office now that if you leave, hey, the grass is always green on the other side sometimes. But you got to get your get your lick in. You got to prove yourself again. I'd already proved myself at SMU. I had to do it again. All right. So your your senior year, your last year, your one year at Georgia, you have three interceptions. Your team is nine and three, ranked number thirteen in the nation. Y'all played in the Liberty Bowl. So back then, uh, you played in two bowl games. Actually, went to three as a redshirt freshman. You went to the Sun Bowl. Were the was the bowl game atmosphere just everything that I think it would be? Was it just craziness? The football atmosphere in Athens, Georgia, and the SEC from the places I've visited is completely different than anything that I had ever experienced at SMU. Um, at SMU, at that time, the thought was if you were on a football scholarship, then you're really, your dad didn't have the money and you weren't really that, you weren't really looked upon favorably if you played football at SMU from a, from a female standpoint. They were, for overall, I'm just being honest. I mean, they're, they're, SMU had a lot of great people there. I'm just saying not everybody was that way. I don't mean to characterize it that way. But you walk on campus, University of Georgia, and you play football, everybody knows who you are. I mean, it's nuts. I mean, it, people grow up from two years on. the girl, I'd go to parties at SMU after we beat University of Texas, the worst beating they'd ever had in their life uh, in the Southwest Conference. And we went to, I was a fight up. We went to a party and was talking to some people. And did y'all go to the game today? No. Who won? <laughs> <laughs> well, everybody, all girls that, that grew up in the University of Georgia that I knew at least, they go to the games and they understand the game. That's their livelihood. They've been doing that from two years old. It's just a different culture. I mean, I, nothing's wrong with it, but SMU's got to turn that around. And, and, and Georgia was just, a, ended up being the best thing to ever happen to me. I mean, you know, uh, uh, and it was a risk, and you know, uh, I had one year to go, and I could have failed, and but I took a risk, and and the coaches believed in me, and Coach Dooley believed in me, and I'm still good friends with Coach Dooley to this day, and he's a good man, and the people down there, it, it was just phenomenal experience for me, and I I learned so much from that in in my life and in business and life and moving forward. So I try to teach my kids that, and hopefully they'll listen to a little bit of it. So most incredible environment you played played in on the road? Clemson. Clemson? 
Clemson. Well, let me. And then I played in a Georgia Florida game. Okay. When Emmett Smith was a freshman, and he stands back in the second quarter during a timeout, TV timeout, and he goes raises his hand, and the crowd goes freaking nuts. Just <laughs> ear. I mean, deafening. Deafening. Ear yeah. deafening. But 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 Emmett caught a swing pass one time, and. He was 17 years old. I was 23 at the time. And he's on the sidelines, and he turns the corner, and I got a kill shot on him. And I hit him as hard as I could, and I moved him maybe a half an inch. Wow. <laughs> but his, his, his foot stepped out of bounds. It knocked me backwards. Huh. I'm like, I'm hitting a Volkswagen here. Yeah. I, I mean, and, and I'm like, my God. I mean, I, that's when I knew that, that that game wasn't for me at the next, next level because – I mean, it was like hitting a Volkswagen. But uh, most uh, most impressive player on your team at Georgia, and then somebody that stuck out. Maybe it was Emmett Smith. I don't know. During your year at at Georgia, you know, in the SEC, you ever use Georgia? Uh, I knew that I could not go to the next level because I I played right corner at SMU and at Georgia. Uh, but the two left corners that I was fortunate enough to play with were both first-round draft boys choices in the NFL, and they were—you f- could just see the difference in ability and coverage skills and catch-up skills, strength. Um, who were they? Rod Jones, okay, at SMU from South Oak Cliff that ran on the USA four by four hundred meter Olympic team, okay. Uh, great track guy. He played forever. He was the fastest player I've ever seen run. Mm-hmm. Uh, a guy named Ben Smith that was drafted by the Philadelphia Eagles, and he could hit like thunder. I mean, he just had he just had he just had it. You, you see it. It's hard to explain. When you see it, you see it. Yeah. You know, and and that's what I knew. I was I was a I was a very good college football player, but there was I could, I might have played in that. USA League or whatever they had that USFL. 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 I probably could have played in that safety or something, but that didn't interest me. But there's no way I could have played at the different level. Um, the most impressive player was was Ben Smith and a guy named Lars Tate. Okay, Lars Tate was the like the drafted the first round as running back by Tampa Bay, and he later got shot in a, an apartment complex in Atlanta and, and struggling now. But mm-hmm. but he he was he was six two and a half two forty two thirty five could run like a deer. Most most disappointing heartbreaking loss in your college career, SMU or Georgia? Georgia. We played Auburn for this. They didn't have they didn't have East and West then. We played Auburn for the SEC championship. Um, and if we win, we go to the Sugar Bowl. If we lose, we go to the Liberty Bowl. And my roommate was a safety, and they had a guy named Lawyer Tillman that oh, yeah. was a wide receiver that played in the NFL, was unbelievable. And third quarter, it's a close game, and they throw a post pattern, and they score, and the game breaks away, and we get beat. But I remember thinking, in the middle of the third quarter, I'm going to New Orleans for a week. Huh. I'm going to party in New Orleans <laughs> at the Sugar Bowl <laughs> to play Miami, Michael Irvin, and all those guys. And uh, 
We went from the Sugar Bowl to the Liberty Bowl. We had a great time at the Liberty Bowl. But the most impressive player I've ever played against, I played against Tim Brown, but Sterling Sharp at, at South Carolina. Yeah. Uh, I was unfortunately assigned that day to cover him. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> and he was 6'2", 228, 229, just just – Muscled up. I was 170. Yeah. He caught maybe 14 passes, 15 passes for like 230 yards. Mm-mm. But he did score. <laughs> we won 13 to 7. Mm-hmm. And he just just kicked my ass the whole day. <laughs> and But we, he didn't score. <laughs> That's all. Didn't score. Didn't score. There you go. That's my claim to fame. But he beat the hell out of me. <laughs> Okay, so let's let's uh, let's kind of fast forward here a little bit. In you returned to SMU to get your JD. That's correct. And you're the managing shareholder now for the law firm of Vincent Serafino, Geary Waddell, and Genevine, which uh, which is fan- and fantastic in and of itself. You were named by Texas Monthly as a Texas Super Lawyer, and at least eleven years ago, a little more probably. Uh, one of the super lawyers under 40. So you have two kids, two sons. Everything's going great. And you've got one of those, uh, another one of those roller coaster moments in your life when your wife is diagnosed with cancer. Share with us a little bit, and, and, and I don't want to pry too much into such a... Uh, uh, challenging moment in your life but share with us a little bit of just that battle with cancer and 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 betsy passed away in 2012 but kind of what that was like for you you know um it was humbling because other than that one setback in my life i'm a hard worker and and believe and you do good things, things. You treat people well. You do right things. Uh, good things will happen to you, and, and that's how I've always operated my whole life. Um, and I have a four-year-old, a six-year-old, and my wife Betsy at the time has this pain in her back, and I'm like, "Honey, go to the doctor." The doctor says some certain things. Ah, it's endometriosis. Let's put you on the pill, see if this will work. Uh, it gets worse. We go to another doctor. He goes, oh, it's uh, interval bowel syndrome. Irritable bowel syndrome. syndrome excuse my language there. Um, and so then another doctor, she has more pain about the next year, and says, I think you've got uh, uh, endometriosis again. So but let's, so then another doctor says, let's take a look. So they do a, 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 a you know, where they do the endoscopy or whatever. Yeah. It's, oh. scope it somehow. Yeah, where they, they, they go in with a, with a camera, they look in the front, they look at all the, the, the organs except for the kidney. Because the kidney's in the back behind the your shell, which I didn't know at the time. Uh, and the doc looks in there, and 
says, yeah, I looked at it. She got endometriosis. That's causing the pain. Huh. And like, thank God we finally figured this out. After, you know, two and a half years, we finally got an answer. And he goes, I, we're going to do this certain medication. I think it'll work. Then it got worse. Then it got worse. And she's a tough, she was a tough woman. She would have to, she'd call me sometimes and would say, hey, I had to pull over, Mark. I got the boys in the car. I had to pull over in the car. I've got this pain attack. I said, that medicine's not working. We got to do something else. And finally, we went to a doctor and said, let's do a CT scan, which for the life of me, I don't understand why that didn't happen day one, okay? And um, when they did the CT scan, it came back, and, and she had a tumor about the size of a tennis ball on the back of her kidney. So when the doctor came, went in with, this, with the camera, he uh, looked at everything, but the, the tumor was on the back side of the kidney. Never saw that. Never yeah. saw it. Didn't, didn't know to look for it. A young guy. And, but I'm a, when you have a doctor come out and tells you, I've looked at yeah. her organs, and this is what is causing the problem, that gives you some relief. Yeah. Right. I'm like, thank God, finally. And uh, made a mistake. The guy made a mistake. But he did what he thought he knew what he was doing. I mean, he didn't so, know to look behind that. How long before she passed away did was it finally diagnosed? Well, she was. It was not. She was given. God, two thousand six. I had like a five and a. I had a four and a two year old or five and a three year old at the time when she was diagnosed, and she was given at that time. Uh, well, what they did was they immediately did surgery. And it had grown to the point that it hit up under her aorta. It attached to her aorta. So mm-hmm. we had to have a heart surgeon come in to close that up. So they cut it out. And they said, you got a 50-50 shot of whether we cut it out or not. You know, if you... We did the wide margins. They cut, you know, they cut cancer out all the time. Right. I've been very educated over the years on this stuff, and they cut it out. And we go back three months later, and she, they, you know, they told her to stay off the internet. I got, I was all over it, educated myself, and and we go back, and it had spread into her liver and her lungs, which was called stage four, and. A guy I used to work for, did some work for a guy, Herb Weissman, who is a big successful real estate developer, had a wife die of mild sarcoma. And that's what she was diagnosed with. And there's no known cure for that. So when we went back that day, I don't think she fully realized it or acted like she didn't realize it. I knew at that time that it's done. It's just a matter of time. And... At that point, you know, the doc says, well, we've seen different things. He gave her maybe 12, 18 months. And she, a uh, strong woman, and she made a point to say, I want my kids to remember me. 
and she she been hit about six years. It's incredible. Not in, in, in any event. I'm, I'm just again, like I said beforehand, women have so much more strength than men do when it yeah. comes to will and fighting. They they just tolerate pain better. That was her curse and her her blessing. Yeah. Right. So, uh, and I don't think I've ever talked to you about this, but I've heard this from a couple different people. Betsy left videos. She did for both of the boys. She did. Which Very I think is, which is yeah, which was great. Now, in the message to you, I heard there the one one of the clear messages was, "You can't start dating anybody for a year." That was or, not on or, the video. That was privately. That was privately. She says, "Do not publicly, out of respect for me, do not publicly." I'm like, "Honey, there's no, that's the last thing in the world I'm even thinking about at this time." I mean, I've got two boys. I mean, I'm in shock mode. I mean, thank God I got you two guys and your beautiful wives. Without y'all, I, I mean, at that time, I, I, I don't know if I could have done it. Right. Seriously, I yeah. mean, the, what I, our, our community is so wonderful because they they rallied around and they helped me so much that I can never repay that debt. And and thank you guys for doing it and your wives. I mean, to this day they still help. And 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 um, you know, I mean, you just said you're in survival mode. Yeah. And you, I mean, you just don't even think. You know. Uh, I thought the moment she died, I would immediately put my efforts into work, just zero in and get back to work. Because I'd, you know, had given up a lot during that time, uh, and I, and which I should have. And I, but it did hit me until about 12, 15 months later. But, I mean, it really did, the effect. And, and, uh, but yeah, but, but but Betsy said publicly, do not, uh, do not out of respect for me, do not go out on a date for me with anybody for for a year. And I said, you don't have to worry about that. I was, and I respected that. Did, did she actually threaten you with coming back to haunt you? <laughs> she sent some beautiful videos. She 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 sent a video to my children that we watched together. Which, oh, by the way, is such a fantastic gift to give in that yeah. situation. Oh my it's God. it's she wonderful. Such a, I mean, she had so many good friends helping her, and 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 you know, I don't. She planned this and and, and knew it was coming. It was so strong. Uh, but she has a video that says, "Guys, Gus and Garrison, your daddy's been good to me. I want him to be happy." I want him to meet somebody and enjoy himself the rest of his life. I don't when you give them problems. I'm always going to be your mom, and I will be your mom. But you guys need to respect the fact that your dad needs and would like to, and I want him to have a woman in his life. And, and it's very strong, very strong. It's the last thing I'm thinking about if I'm in her position, and and it's uh, such a mature thought process oh, to to, to give you and them peace yeah. in that you know later in life in that situation, and yeah. and so I guess the, the you know the positive thing fast forwarding is you did meet somebody special, 
Miss Danya, and and you're now remarried again. And so it's it's definitely been, you know. So I started off by talking about that high school superlative athlete, freshman in high school, you can get the seniors and stuff. But it has been an up and down ride, and, and you've met the challenges and, and kept a good attitude and just kept motoring on. You know, at- athletics is, is, is one thing. Life's another. When you have children, as you well know, I mean, the thing changes. The whole landscape changes. Uh, yeah, I was fortunate enough to do those kind of things. And uh, and, and I, I believe in karma. I mean, God, I, to this day, I think I, I haven't been that good. I was fortunate enough to meet a woman in the Bahamas from Georgia that I made a call to and said, will you go out with me on a blind date? And she met me, and she's actually had cancer. She's had ovarian cancer, and hers was cut out timely enough. They had a smart enough doctor to find it early enough. right? And so she, they've cut hers out, and... Her risk is very, very, very small. But she was, she was, uh, uh, told me that on the first date we went out. She goes, hey, Look, I know about your situation. I just want to tell you, I've had this before. So, um, and I respected the hell out of that. But no, she's wonderful with my kids. I've, I've been blessed twice in my life, uh, with beautiful women. And I'm, I, very I, true. I, I'm very, very, very pleased. Well, Mark. Seriously, uh, and, and I've heard your story before, but I, I sincerely appreciate you sharing it with us. This has been uh, enlightening for me, and uh, it's been fantastic having yeah. you as guests. Thank you so much for being on here. Thank you. Well, I'm honored for you guys to have me on here. Thank you. <laughs> so, everybody, this has been Mark Vincent, and uh, we appreciate you listening. This is episode number seven of the Insignificant Others podcast. Please visit us on facebook.com slash insignificant others podcast. Let us know your thoughts. Also, rate us on iTunes. Go to the iTunes podcast app. Pull up our podcast. Tap on reviews. Tap on write a review and let us know your thoughts. Thanks again so much to Mark Vincent for sharing his story. It's been a great story. And thank you for listening.